I'm Liz Gold, and you're listening to Conversations. Stories about strength, courage, and making it through. I'm glad you're here. Hello, hello, and welcome to Conversations. I'm your host, Liz Gold. Today, I have Maria Yuen of Issue Voter on the show. Before I bring on Maria, let me tell you a little bit more about her. Maria is passionate about fixing significant systemic problems by leveraging creativity and determination to achieve world-changing results and impact. As founder of Issue Voter, their mission is to give everyone a voice in our representative democracy. Individuals from all 435 congressional districts already use Issue Voter, and they have already sent over 2 million alerts to individuals and opinions back to Congress. Issue Voter has motivated Americans to vote, stay informed, and make their voices heard between elections when the real work that affects our lives gets done. Issue Voter also collaborates with organizations to engage and activate their communities in impactful ways. Maria's political experience includes introducing and passing a bill as a constituent, working for a representative, and managing and winning one of the most targeted races in Iowa, an open seat in a swing district. Maria's professional experience includes investment banking, strategy, corporate development, recruiting, social enterprise, and consulting. She currently serves on the Bridge Alliance Board of Directors and Keep Families Giving Foundation Advisory Board, and has served on the boards of Give Me Dance, the University of Texas Co-op, and Friends of the Children in New York. Maria's interviews and writing have appeared in Real Clear Politics, The Hill, PBS, MTV, Fast Company, and more, and she's spoken at conferences, companies, and universities across the U.S. on civic engagement, technology, and democracy. Maria earned degrees from the Warden School at the University of Pennsylvania and the University of Texas at Austin. Welcome to the show, Maria. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, so this is what we're going to be talking about today. What Issue Voter is, and I know it's described as politics for busy people, and also making civil engagement accessible. But I guess let's start, like, first, how did you find or develop your passion for politics? It started at a young age, in hindsight. I don't think I realized it when I was growing up. But thinking back, I realized that I grew up with parents who always voted. My dad's family fled communist China. So I think from a very young age, my parents taught me the importance of civic duty And I had a realization also at a young age that there are people in other countries that don't even get to vote. I also have a really clear memory of participating in mock voting in second grade. So I imagine being seven years old and getting to, as a classroom, write down names on slips of paper, fold them up, put them into a homemade ballot, and hear the winners. And it was the first time where I really felt like I was practicing civic engagement, and it was also something that was fun. And so I think that something we've seen happen recently is the lack of exciting and strong civic education in schools, where teachers have so many things that they have to cover throughout the year in their lessons plans, activities like this, and further civic education just sometimes gets left behind. 
Mm-hmm. How did you even decide to start Issue Voter? And how long has it been around? Let me start with the light bulb moment. So the yeah. idea for Issue Voter started when I was a campaign manager in Iowa, a state known for its voter engagement. And it was so frustrating to see that it was almost impossible to answer what should be a simple question, which is my rep actually representing me? And voters had this question. I even had this question for myself. The, and then the experience in Iowa really taught me two things. One is that I didn't necessarily want to work in politics because I didn't necessarily agree with either party 100% of the time. And I think that's most people. The second thing that it sh- really brought to life for me was the fact that politics and campaigns and candidates and dramatic narratives really overshadow what is just, if not more important, which is policy. So we have this situation where I think the politics of the situation overtakes the policy. And so policies really, as you mentioned in the intro, the work, the real work that gets done that affects our lives. And as a nation built on laws, I think it's policy change that will help us create the better world that we all envision. But unfortunately, it's really challenging for people to actually engage in policy. It's you know, not accessible. It's not necessarily easy to understand. Congress introduces over 15,000 bills each legislative session. They may vote on about a thousand of them. And we're only hearing about a handful in the news. And I wouldn't expect people to be able to keep up with all of that. I mean, we're all busy. We all have different things going on in our lives, our own priorities. And at the same time, as part of a democracy, it's also part of our responsibility to participate and to make our voices heard. And so it was really just seeing this problem come to life in Iowa that led to the idea for Issue Voter. But I didn't actually start Issue Voter until almost 10 years later. It was something that I marinated on for a long time. I watched the civic tech space. I saw a lot of startups come and go. I've seen other resources that still exist today that I think are great resources, but aren't necessarily things that are quick to engage with. A lot of the resources out there related to policy are things where you already have to know what you're looking for in order to use them. And then a lot of the things coming out of the startup world in civic tech, unfortunately, I think ultimately just become apps and polls to sell your data, especially on the for-profit side. And so seeing kind of the landscape of where things are, that's what led me to feel like I have to do this. I've been thinking about it so long. I can't not create something to work on this problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you said so much there. And I think, first of all, your phrase dramatic narratives, which we, today's October 1st, and we just witnessed on stage for the first debate, and I'm not going to get into it because there was a lot of dramatic narratives during that debate, but it is hard to really get to the issue when so much of that is clouded. And when you said 15,000 bills per session, that is crazy. And then people vote on, obviously the elected officials vote on that. And then you just maybe hear the results. But that's crazy because it's like all of those bills are impacting our lives in a very significant way. And what I think is so unique about your site is that it just immediately hooks you into your representatives. And I I want you to explain it because some people are not going to know what Issue Voter is. But if you go to the Issue Voter website and you sign up, then you're already, you're connected to your reps and you can see all the different issues that are being considered and deliberated. And then you can see, you can vote. You like determine if you want to vote how you want to vote, or you can actually see 
how each party is voting. Is Do I have that correct? Yep, exactly. So we definitely start with thinking about what issues you care about. I think that a lot of times people will say, to your point, people sometimes think, oh, I'm not political or these national, some people may feel like these national issues don't affect them as much as local issues. I would say, I would kind of argue they both affect you, but we start by asking people what issues they care about. And then they receive alerts before Congress is about to vote on a bill related to one of those issues. Because again, I don't expect people to seek this out. I don't expect people to know their schedule and know what's being voted on and when. So we do that and we just send a simple alert. And then in that email alert, we include a summary of the bill in layman's terms, along with points from both sides and clicking support or oppose either directly from an email alert or on the website sends your opinion directly to your representative's office, to the staffer in charge of constituent contact. And then that individual who's using Issue Voter gets a personalized scorecard that shows you the percentage of time your rep is voting, how you would want him or her to vote. So coming into this next election, for example, you can see if your current rep is representing you 10% of the time, 80% of time, or, you know, whatever that number is, that's how the site works. I think that it's really important to connect people with their representatives. There's a lot of things out there where you'll see petitions that are like petition to Nancy Pelosi or petition to Mitch McConnell. But honestly, at the end of the day, it's much more impactful for individuals to contact your representatives for your district or your state. And then I think the scorecard is key because that's accountability. Again, I think a lot of us have probably heard these calls to action to call your rep. And I would never discourage someone from doing that. But even when you call your rep, you don't necessarily have an easy way to find out what actually happened or if they did the thing you actually wanted them to do when you called them. And our hope with the scorecard is that's one way to remind you sent your opinion, which was either for or against this bill. Here's how your rep voted and here's whether or not the bill passed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. And so the opinion, once that goes to the rep's person, what's been their response when they get this information? So another thing that I think is a bit of a misconception is that the best way to make your voice heard with reps is by calling them. Mm. I would never discourage someone from calling. I would never discourage from writing, from emailing, from any form of communication that you prefer. At the end of the day, they do become tallies. So if you call versus email, it doesn't mean that your call gets five tally marks and your email gets one. It's all going into kind of the same collection of summary where the staffer will be in charge of sharing with the office, okay, this week we got 563 calls about the environment, or this week we got 400 calls about abortion, X percent for, Y percent against, things like that. At the end of the day, they're tallying up these numbers. So no matter how you contact your rep, it becomes a part of that tally. So I do want to let people know that because I think a lot of times we're told to call. Frankly, calling is what's most disruptive. So that's why often advocacy organizations encourage calling. And whether or not you want to be disruptive is your choice. There's a lens where you could say that's a good thing because it's really bringing a lot of attention to the issue. There's also a lens that could say that is inefficient because what you're doing is you're preventing the staffers from being able to to do a lot of their work if their entire day is answering phone calls. So I'm curious about, so once you make that choice, yes, you're for this bill, you're against this bill, that information goes to the rep's staffer. How does that information come through to them? Like via email or 
they're like issue voter has oh that's like our that's i cannot the- reveal <laughs> i can't reveal my secrets <laughs> that's your secret okay yeah i'm just so curious because i think that's so interesting because i would want to know oh what are their staffers think about so that's i can still answer that question okay. so i think that the great thing that, that we really want to do is we actually are trying to make the staffers lives easier and i think they appreciate it so we actually just launched our first ever issue voter ambassador program And I think traditionally, when you think of ambassador programs, people think, oh, it's like sharing issue voter and you get a bunch of swag. I would say that our ambassador program is much more about building community. So we actually have weekly webinars that we do with the ambassadors where we bring in outside speakers. We hosted a debate watching party with them this week. So we're doing like fun things. We have a group, an online community where they get to interact with each other. So we're really trying to build a community of issue voter users that start to interact and get to know each other. Point being, actually this week on our ambassador webinar, we had a member of Congress's staff member who talked about constituent mail and like how that all works. And something that she, I'll just paraphrase, but she was saying that she was something she really appreciates about issue voter is that it's a way to make the process more efficient and easier for both sides. And she even expressed that kind of the frustration or just almost disbelief that like in Congress, they're still using fax machines. (laughs) Some of these really outdated forms of communication and that many of the younger staffers like wish they would just go away, fax machines. (laughs) So (laughs) it's just kind of funny. So I think there's really an effort in Congress from both the members and the staff side to modernize. And I think they definitely recognize that these tools can be helpful to them because often a staffer or a member of Congress will tell you, they sometimes feel like they sometimes know that they're not necessarily hearing from the majority of their constituents. They're hearing from the loudest voices. They're hearing from the most organized voices or the most well-funded voices. And they sometimes feel like they're hearing from the same people over and over. And they really do want to hear from constituents and understand understand their district and the concerns of their district. And so I think that we really don't see them as like adversaries. We, we want to be like helpful to both the members, staff, and also to constituents, of course. Most of issue voters' functionality is really like thinking of the voter and the constituent in mind. So that's how we started. But I think definitely it's something that as we grow and as things evolve, we want to work very closely with staff to make sure that we are remaining a helpful resource. Some things that have happened is that staffers have reached out to us and asked to be connected with the individuals using issue voter in their districts. And then what we do is we reach out to those individuals, ask them if they're okay with the introduction, and then we introduce them. So it's nothing, that's not nothing too high tech. (laughs) We we make like a traditional email introduction. I guess the other thing I could say that's not super high tech about Issue Voter is it is a website. So it was a conscious decision to be web first and not an app. But I think that the goal there is that we really want to be where people already are in their email, things that they're using every day. But I guess side note, right now I feel like building an issue voter app is our most requested feature. So we are looking into that. Hmm. So interesting. I saw the video on your website too, about how a group of people, or I think there was maybe three people from issue voter went around and asking people to decipher the bills in like a short amount of time. And everybody was like, yeah, I can't really comprehend (laughs) what I'm reading. So you are really doing a service by distilling the bills down into something that most people can understand. And I'm like, How do you do that? Who are the people on your team that are like, 
reading through the bills and are like trying to creating it into content or language that is easily understood by everybody else. So I guess the easiest way to describe that is like we have strict editorial guidelines and training and they are real humans. So I appreciate your recognizing that it's people. It's funny because sometimes people ask me, oh, is it like a robot? Is it AI that's doing this? And I don't know if AI is there yet, but right now it's real people. And so I guess how we do it is it just takes time. It's one of these things that it's not really rocket science. It does take time though. So I think that's where we are providing the service of we will do that so that you don't have to. 15,000 bills like in one session and to get your hands on all of those just for just to amuse me. What's the turnaround time for when a bill like comes to you and then when you like reshape it into language somebody can read? So I will clarify that we don't cover all 15,000 bills, nor would we ever want to. (laughs) Uh, The bills in Congress are things like renaming. I mean, some of them are things that it's okay. Not everyone has to voice their opinion on that. So we do want to focus people's time where we think it's most impactful. Mm -hmm. So we cover bills in three categories. They are scheduled for a floor vote, not in suspension of the rules, which basically means that we know the bill will be voted on and it will have some floor debate. So that means that it's not necessarily a bill that they know will just pass, like where they already have, you know, so many votes on one side where they just know, okay, it's just going to be a voice vote. We're just going to say yay or nay, and it's a done thing. And those suspension bills are ones that they can vote on like 10 bills in one day because they've already done all the work and kind of vetting ahead of time. But the ones that are in suspension of the rules, they do have time for floor debate. And those are the ones where we alert our users to also weigh in and send their opinion to their member of Congress. The second category that we cover are bills that are getting a lot of attention. There is an objective way that we measure that, but basically to give an example, something like the Green New Deal. So the Green New Deal is a resolution that a lot of people have heard about and many people probably have an opinion on it, but it's never going to reach the House floor. I shouldn't say, never say never. I shouldn't say never. We know it's not going to reach the House floor though, in, in all honesty. So that's an example of a bill, though, that we did cover because we know that a lot of people would want to send their opinion on it. Another bill like that would be something like Medicare for All in the Senate. The third category of bills that we cover are bills that a partner organization have highlighted to us. So we do partner with local and national civic organizations, so far all nonpartisan organizations. And some of those organizations do cover like very like specific issue areas. And so they'll let us know about legislation that they are watching. And that gives us an opportunity to also let issue voter users know about that issue. And that's something that um, may be gaining traction as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you for clarifying that because I was like, that is a big project 15,000 bills. Yeah, uh, as a user, you probably wouldn't want to get 17,000 alerts in a year either. Or in, <laughs> no. year. So it's also, to, we also want to make sure it's like a service where if you sign up, if you select every single issue, you may get, you may get like one to four emails a week, but it's not going to be anything that's in my opinion, it's not super overwhelming. Yeah. So the other thing that I'm fascinated by is that it's a nonpartisan, like a platform. So you have voices from both parties. How do you make sure that it's nonpartisan? Like, why was that important with the development of the site? Yeah, I think, well, gosh, why is it important? I think there's so many reasons, but (laughs) I think that one of the things about it being nonpartisan is I think that very much aligns with even my own personal values of just wanting to see both sides. It doesn't mean that we're trying to change someone's mind, but we've had people e-voter and tell us like, oh, before issue voter, I didn't even know there could be another side to this issue, which is just really interesting and really highlights the amount of polarization that we're experiencing right now as a country. And again, like we're not an advocacy organization. We're not necessarily trying to, we're not trying to change people's minds, 
But at least by seeing the other side, that can even give an individual more context if they ever are talking to someone who disagrees with them or they meet someone who disagrees with them, at least maybe then they can even have a conversation, which I think is helpful. So that's one reason. Also, I think also it's helpful being a nonpartisan resource right now because we're also moving towards a time where it almost feels like there are fewer and fewer nonpartisan sources of information. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important to maintain that and be one of those sources and be And that also relates to why we're a nonprofit and not a for-profit is that I I think it's very important that we're providing a free public resource for people. Do you get any pushback for being nonpartisan? No, I haven't actually. I'll say two things about our bill summaries though, because I think I forgot part of your question or I didn't answer part of your question, which was like about how we remain nonpartisan. The thing that I would say is that every bill is inherently partisan in a way. It's introduced by a Democrat or Republican who thinks it's a good idea whatever the thing that it's proposing, whatever law it's trying to create or change. And so on the summary part of issue voter, we're merely summarizing what the bill will do. Could sometimes sound partisan to people, but I don't think it really is us being partisan. It's just, we're just telling you what the bill will do. The other thing I would just highlight, or maybe it's a nuance, is we have points from both sides. And I try to be careful about calling them points from both sides, or I'll call them what the proponents say, what the opponents say. They're not pros and cons. Pros and cons would be like maybe something like if if we were a research organization or a think tank, because the way I see it, a proponent of the bill could make a statement. And depending on what your beliefs are, that could actually be a con. So they're not really pros and cons. I wouldn't think of them that way. The other thing is there's actually, it's cool because there are bills where you'll see both Democrats and Republicans on the same side, on both sides, meaning there are both Republican and Democrat statements for a bill. And there's both Democrat and Republican statements against a bill. So I think it also is helpful to remind people in a way that it's not always one party versus the other in every situation. That's a lot of what we definitely hear on the news. But on actual policymaking, there is room for more nuance and both agreement and disagreement. That's nice to hear. I do hearing that. So Maria, I love talking about the nonpartisan thing. I think that's really important because people are so divided. And also there's, oh, if you're not, there's like this peer pressure thing that if you don't prescribe to this sort of way of being or this political stance, then, you know, you're evil. But I think, I do think it's more nuanced than that. And I think we need to be more nuanced than that moving forward. So I'm curious, you had mentioned earlier in the show about how there's not a lot in school around civic engagement. And I'm wondering if how you see civic engagement playing out today in the age of the pandemic, in the age of intense political divisiveness, in the age of increased technology, how do you, do you feel like young people and I guess old people, older people are engaging in politics more? What are you seeing? I don't think we always do a good job of bridging the fact that you care about a specific issue to participating in policymaking and voting. I think with young people, we know that young people care about issues. We know that they're really savvy and smart about organizing, but that doesn't always translate to voting, for example. I don't necessarily know that I have the solution for that. I think I would love to think that Issue Voter is part of that solution because we're helping, in my opinion, people see why even vote in the first place, as opposed to right now, October 2020, what we're seeing is how to vote, which is still important. 
Don't get me wrong. It's still important to know how to register, how to find your polling location, how to get a mail home, mail-in ballot, how to research your candidates. All of that is very important, but that's very like spiky civic engagement. A lot of what we have in politics is very spiky. Something will happen. People get riled up, but then maybe two months later, they forget about it. So I think what I'm hoping for is where we make it really easy for people to sustain their civic engagement in a way that doesn't feel so so spiky. And even in the way you described the list of things going on in the world, it's very stressful. So yeah. I think the other thing we're looking at doing is we're actually trying to look into, um, we're going to be publishing a blog article soon about mindfulness and politics. Because I think those are two topics that you often don't hear about hear talked about in the same sentence. But I think that there are a lot of mindfulness techniques that can be helpful when having political conversations or dealing with politics or even things like watching the news. What have you been doing in terms of your issue voter for the last you know few months gearing up for this big presidential election? I know that you're focused more on sort of congressional bills, but how has your work been impacted knowing that this sort of November 3rd is like looming? Yeah, I think it's two things. So one is throughout the month of September, we actually created a workshop that we ran several times throughout the month that walked people through all of the steps towards to get them closer to voting. So what I mean is it's very easy to hear the reminders to vote. It's very easy to you get the list of resources in your email or a friend sends them to you. And it's very easy to think, oh, I'll do that later. Or yeah, I, I plan to vote. I'll do that later. And then before it's like you've missed the registration or before it, the election is over. Mm-hmm. And so the point of these webinars They're really more like workshops. They're very hands-on where we actually like took people through checking their registration status together, finding out who's on their ballot, finding some resources to research candidates, and then also learning about issue voter and how they can keep whoever is elected accountable going forward. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that we've really been focusing on in terms of like in the context of the election. And so they went really well. I think we got some really great feedback. People really loved them. There was one woman who was so excited about it that she created a page on her company's intranet site. She works in HR and with all of the resources that we had shared from the workshop for her, for uh, employees at her company. And so we are working on creating a page like that for other HR professionals to share. Because again, it's also, that's another reason why I think it's important to be nonpartisan because if you want people to participate and you want an organization like a company, like they can't really share something that's partisan, but they can share nonpartisan resources. So that's a workshop that we're hoping to do more of in October. And for the month of October, we're basically looking for individuals or organizations or companies who want to partner with us on it. And then we would basically host the workshop. It's very plug and play. Like we have all the content ready to go. We would host the workshop for their community at the time and date that makes sense for them. Oh, wow. That's great. So you're providing resources to help people learn how to vote get registered, get ready for the election. And any sort of thoughts or, I don't know, reflections or insights regarding the whole campaign election process that's going on right now? We don't need to get into Trump-Biden, but like just how, where we are right now, like politically as a country. Oh, like a whole nother podcast. (laughs) But I can tell you this, I think we're stuck in a little bit of a vicious cycle when it comes to campaigns. I can tell you about that. So I think the vicious cycle that we're stuck in when it comes to campaigns is the fact that many people do not vote. We know this. Even last presidential election, it was, I can't remember the exact number, but it was, was it in the 50 or 60 percentages, something around there? So there's many people not voting. 
So people don't vote and then campaigns have to raise a ton of money because they're trying to get people to vote. They're trying to get their name out. They're trying to like make sure you vote. And that's what a lot of the money is going to. It's things to, to really encourage voter turnout. Of course, on the campaign side, they do it in a partisan way, right? Like they want to encourage their most likely voters to vote. But at the end of the day, they're trying to encourage people to vote. Then people get turned off because they see all the campaigns are so expensive. They're spending all this money, concerns around the influence of money in politics, all these concerns. And I think that turns people off and it makes people apathetic. It makes people feel like their voices aren't heard and then they don't vote. So we're back to the beginning. So I just think, I don't know, I think we're stuck in a vicious cycle there. It's very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to need some more mindfulness in politics. Yes, we should do, <laughs> you know, meditation sessions or something. I agree. We should do, we'll do a meditation, like, you know, before and after each debate. Yeah, I've talked to so many people after that debate who were just like, oh my God, we were like psychically assaulted. But yeah, so I think it sounds like you're doing great work, obviously. Like you're really helping to inform people and to get issues that are important to them in front of them and know like how their elected officials are what their views are on that and also getting people's viewpoints on those issues to their elected officials so it's really quite amazing what you've built and I didn't even ask you about the technology that goes into this kind of thing how was that created that's probably a good thing because I'm not a developer (laughs) (laughs) so Maria, you probably are quite busy. What's a typical day for you like as the founder of this um, nonprofit? I think that other founders would probably tell me that I need to spend more time fundraising. (laughs) Unfortunately, that always seems to be the hardest for me to fit in because I feel like I'm focused so much on running the organization that I don't often devote enough time to fundraising. So some of my day is spent talking to potential organizations that we want to collaborate with. Some of it is spent engaging with our different communities that we're trying to activate. So for example, our ambassador program that I mentioned, we're looking to create a new peer fundraising community. We're looking to launch a student representative community. So part of my time is like organizing and working on those programs. Part of it is the core of what we do, which is the email alerts and like making sure all of that is running. I don't know. It's a lot of different things, but I would say fortunately, interestingly, it is all, these all are things that I can do remotely from home through a laptop and an internet connection. So I would say that's the good news is that it's not an organization where our work stops because we're not in the event that we're not able to do things in person. We actually are still really able to be there for people and be a resource for people to take action remotely. And where are you based out of? I'm in Austin, Texas now. Oh, awesome. I love Austin. And do you have a fully remote team? Yes. And we had a fully remote team even before COVID-19. Yeah. So that for us wasn't as much of a shift or adjustment as it was for many organizations. Yeah. Yeah. So on November 3rd, what are you all going to be doing Vote outside from voting? So probably we're going to be getting ready to send out a lot of messages with the headline, you just voted, now what? <laughs> yeah. Because... We really want to focus people on the fact that 2021 is a brand new congressional session, brand new Congress, all new legislation will have to be either introduced or reintroduced. And it's actually a really great time for people to start following what Congress is doing between elections. So that's going to be a lot of our messaging after the election. Very cool. So we'll be focused on that. Yeah. Very cool. And so Maria, how can people learn more about Issue Voter and follow along with what you're doing? Sign up. Ah, 
So it's very easy to sign up. I've had one of the managing directors, we're a nonprofit, but one of the managing directors of Techstars told me it was the easiest sign up process ever, which was like music to my ears. So you just go to voter.org. So at issuevoter.org, you can sign up. The only things we ask you for are an email so that we can create your profile so you get your personalized scorecard, your address so that we can find your rep automatically, and the issues that you care about so we can customize your email alerts. So you'll only get emails on the issues that you subscribe to, but you can at any time go to the website itself and see all the issues that we've covered. Um, So it's very easy to sign up. And then, yeah, please follow us on social media. It's at Issue Voter on every platform. We have a blog. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. We don't have a lot of TikTok content, but some of my younger interns are helping with that. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds fun. That's easy. Issue Voter, everybody. And we're going to put it all in the show notes so you'll have that info. And Maria, thank you so much for taking the time out for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Liz. It was a pleasure. And if anyone has feedback or questions, I always welcome people to reach out to us. Yay. Awesome. Until next time, everybody. Thank you. Conversations is produced by Rhino Girl Media, a communications consulting company. To advance or evolve your next communications project, check out my website, rhinogirlmedia.com or contact me at liz at rhinogirlmedia.com. You can always follow me on Instagram at Liz Stacy Gold. And if you like this podcast, please leave a review, share it, or send me some love. Thanks for listening. Until next time.